Well, it's my uh, privilege to introduce you our speaker for today, Jim Keller, who's going to share uh, this morning. And uh, Jim was here, many of you were here for the marriage seminar yesterday and enjoyed hearing Jim. He's a wonderful storyteller. You can read a little bit about his uh, bio on the back of the bulletin, where he is a Christian counselor and speaks at a large church in Orlando, Florida. Uh, he has been on staff with Campus Crusade and spoken at several marriage conferences as well around the country, and so we're just delighted to have him here. But the one thing I want to say is that I just appreciate Jim as a friend. And our friendship goes back to when I was a student in college and then when I went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And, uh, you know, one of the stories I remember, I think, Jim, where your uh, heart for counseling and for people came out real early on was... We were at a Christmas conference in New England in Springfield, and I was out there, and I was probably about 20, 21, 22, you know, pretty young still in that whole thing, and, and um, we had gotten a call, or I did at that conference, and my dad had found out he had cancer, and it was not looking good. And I remember being out there, and I just, I had all these responsibilities at the conference that I was supposed to do, but I just needed to get back to my room and take some time to pray, and I just wanted to bring that before the Lord. And Jim came, he knocked on my door, and he came in, and he sat there, and he listened to me, and then he just prayed with me. And I appreciated that so much in terms of just uh, your warmth, your understanding, and how God used you at that time. And Jim is just, he's the real deal. When he shares these stories, I always appreciate how honest he is and what he shares. And so, Jim, come and uh, share the word with us today. Thanks. <laughs> Good morning. I am from, from Orlando, where this morning at... Uh, 7 a.m., it was exactly 80 degrees warmer. <laughs> so, really glad to be here. I walked outside and I just went, huh? And I don't think I breathed the whole way on the way to church. It was just like, oh, okay. Rick dropped me off at the door. I said, do not drop me at this door if it's not open, because I'm not going to be <laughs> found frozen to death out in front of this church. Whatever happened to that speaker? It's a pleasure to be with you. I enjoyed the marriage conference yesterday. It was a, a, a great time to be with many of you and, and uh, glad to be with all of you here uh, this morning. When I was a senior in high school, I dated a girl named Becky. And Becky and I were, were quite well matched, I thought. Uh, we were really going steady, although we were not officially going steady because her father would not allow her to go steady. But everyone knew Becky and I were an item, and uh, we dated all through that year as my first day girlfriend. I just tried to do the best I could to be an attentive boyfriend and and, uh, enjoyed the time. Springtime came of that senior year. Her club had a dance, and uh, I found out through a friend of Becky's, another girl, she came up to me during one of the breaks between classes, and she said, did you hear? And I said, did I hear what? And she said, Becky asked John Wall to the dance. I spit on John Wall. (laughs) I said, what? I dated this girl faithfully all through the year. And she asked another guy 
to the dance. I was devastated. I went home. I didn't know quite how to process it. I didn't have any buddies at the time that I really felt I wanted to share that with. So I was trying to think, who can I talk to about this? I had all these emotions going on. I thought I really cared for her. And all of a sudden, here she was with another man, boy, whatever. The only person there was my mom. And uh, I usually didn't go to my mom for advice, usually my dad. But my mom, I think probably, I thought probably had some things to say. And I had one question for her. I said, Mom, how, how will I know when I'm in love? Because I was really wondering about all these emotions and all my disappointment. Uh, my mom uh, was a um, very verbal woman. She could lecture with the best of them. She always had an opinion on every subject. I expected a long dissertation in terms of the points, you know, bullet points that I could have and could sort of notch off and check off that I'm in love. Instead, you know what my mom did? She sort of stopped. She looked up. About 10 seconds later, she looked back at me and she just said three words. You'll just know. And then she walked away. <laughs> I was so disappointed. So the one time in my life I wanted a lecture from my mom and she had only three words for me. What do you mean I'll just know? I remember purposing in my heart at that point that when I had kids, I would give them a better answer if they ever asked me that question. <laughs> and sure enough, my son was 16. He came to me and he was going through some difficulties of his own and he asked me, Dad, what's this love thing? How am I going to know when I'm in love? Here's what I said. Son, you'll know you're in love when you look into her eyes the same way you look at food when you open the refrigerator door. <laughs> and he nodded. And um, I think he went to get something to eat. I don't know what he did. One of the first things I learned as a child when I was in church were three other words. God is love. God is love. Karl Barth, the great 20th century theologian, was asked uh, in, in a uh, conference where he was speaking, he had question and answer, someone got up and said, what's the most profound iteration of theological truth you've ever heard? And everyone waited for this great man, this man of great wisdom, uh, great knowledge, hear what he had to say, and he just, he, he paused a bit, and then, then he just leaned in and said, here it is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jonathan Edwards, probably one of the greatest theologians of our country, wrote this on God's love. The apostle tells us that God is love, and therefore seeing he is an infinite being, it follows that he is an infant fountain of love. Seeing he is an all-sufficient being, it follows that he is an, a full and overflowing and inexhaustible fountain of love. And in that he is an unchangeable and eternal being, he is an unchangeable and eternal fountain of love. Did you get all that? God is love. But what does that mean? Have you ever tried to define it, really? what it really means to, to understand and embrace the concept of what love really is. We, during our 
sessions yesterday, looked at a text in Colossians. If you have your Bibles, if you could open back to that text, Colossians chapter 3. And we spent our time really in verses 12 and 13, but the text here uh, that I want to read for you is 12 through 14. And I want to spend our time basically on, on verse 14 for the remainder of my time with you this morning. Starting with verse 12, I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's our verse. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of God. I think and believe wholeheartedly that in all the wealth of Scripture, if you would just take these three verses, memorize them, incorporate them into your daily lives, that you would have a better understanding of what healthy relationships look like, and that if you applied them to your relationships, your relationships would continually be improving and becoming what God wants them to be and, and becoming what you, indeed, would want them to be. Paul says, over all these virtues, what virtues is he talking about? He's talking about the virtues of, of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Over all these, put on love. And, and, and the Greek word here uh, is the word, same word we use for, uh, that they use for ligaments. It's, it's the it's the part of the body that wraps up a joint and makes the joint function. Paul wraps up this short passage by binding this encouragement to have a healthy earthly to have healthy earthly relationships in the virtue of love. I've done scores of weddings, officiated them. Almost every wedding that I do the text that I read is 1 Corinthians 13. That's, that's the love chapter. And you probably, those of you who are married here, probably most likely, a good portion of you at least, have that read at your wedding. It lists for us what love is. Paul does a beautiful job. Love is patient, kind, and he, and he just goes on what it is and what it isn't. And as I read that text as couples stand before me and I look into their dazed eyes because I don't think they really know where they are or what in the world's going on. They're just there and dressed up and trying to do what they're told. I wonder if they get an inkling even of the depth of what love really means. So I just want to just share a few things in terms of what I found out personally, through Scripture, through my own personal life, about what love is. First of all, I think I need to say what love isn't. First of all, love is more than just the physical. Love is more than just physical affection. This is stunning news to our culture because uh, physical affection, sexual affection is, is, is exalted as, as a wonderful thing in our culture, and certainly is wonderful in terms of how God created it. But sex, physical affection, is not love. It's important. God created it. But he created it to be exercised with boundaries. 
And to a large degree, our culture treats physical affection as if it were love. When I was 11, my parents finally got to a point where they determined that if they left me alone in the house for two hours, I probably wouldn't burn it down before they got back. So they went off to do it to an event, and I was all alone. My brothers were not there. I don't know what uh, was going on with them, but I was all alone. It was the first time in my life that I was left alone. And I had a quarter and a nickel. And I had Pervin's grocery store, half block away from me. And I marched down to Pervin's, and uh, they had a box of Hershey's candy bars right there on the counter. And uh, I, I pushed that quarter and nickel, 30 cents, across the counter to Mr. Pervin. Back then, because this dates me, a Hershey bar cost five cents, a big one. Not, not a small, wimpy one, a big one. Five cents. I bought six Hershey bars. <laughs> And he had a little smile on his face as he pushed them back over to me. I, I just took them home. No parental guidance, no one to chide me, no one to say, wait for dinner. I just, I'm on my own. I said, I'm free. And I remember with the, the, the glee, that I, all the glee I could muster in my heart, just opening that first one and just, just savoring every morsel of it. And just looking at the other five and going, this is probably the best day of my life. Second one, I just, I, just, I just ate that and relished it, and it's the first time in my life I ever had two candy bars back to back. It was awesome. And then the third. Uh, third was, was almost as enjoyable. Fourth. Fourth was just a little more tedious. I, I took a little bit longer on the fourth, but I really determined I would enjoy every bite, and I tried and almost did. Fifth. Not so much. I knew I had to eat them all before, they, before my parents got home. I didn't want to leave any evidence. I didn't want, and so I remember the sixth, eating that sixth and going, I wonder if I'm ever going to like chocolate again. <laughs> we, we live in a dessert-first culture. What I found out that day is chocolate's great if you put the right boundaries around it. And what, as a believer, we know that, that God and his provision for, for physical affection in our life is great if we put the appropriate boundaries around it. David Tripp says we have a perverse capacity to be comfortable with what God says is wrong. In all my years of working with couples, physical intimacy never healed a relationship. It's a wonderful part of a married relationship, but it doesn't heal. Paul, in his letter to, to the church at Corinth, notes that uh, the church, and we forget this many times, uh, the early church was formed in, in a very perverse culture. The Roman culture was not anywhere near what we would call moral today. And Paul says in, the cha in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he says, look, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And he implores them to honor God with your body. And the implication there is that, is that the physical relationship between a man and woman is a spiritual experience, and it needs to be put in the right context. The boundary, of course, is marriage. So love is more than physical. Love is more than just emotional. 
Strong emotion is not love. It's certainly one of the most satisfying byproducts of love, but strong emotion isn't love itself. I was doing campus ministry in New England. I was at Boston College. Uh, it's close to three o'clock in the afternoon. I was in a dormitory. I was between appointments. I was sitting in a dorm lounge. And uh, no one was in this lounge. I thought it was a good, good chance to get a little bit of work done before my next appointment with a student. And about two minutes to three, students started to file into this lounge. They began to sit. There was a TV there. They turned the television on. I, you know, I'm just going, wow. And by three o'clock, there were at least 40, 45 students there. I was crowded in this, this lounge. I thought, is there a great event that's taking place? Is, these are the leaders of tomorrow. Or are they looking for some some speech from some great world leader. You know what was on at 3 o'clock? General Hospital. <laughs> they were watching a soap opera, Leaders of Tomorrow. <laughs> and I remember being fascinated. I never watched an episode of General Hospital, but I, I watched about 15 minutes. I was fascinated. Uh, these people interacted. I, I, but I heard this. This one, one woman was, was complaining to another woman about a relationship, and she said these words, Luke? Luke, I just don't love Luke anymore. I remember thinking to myself, it's, it's like love is this mysterious force that just sort of takes us through life and it just sort of bounces us along from relationship to relationship. And when love is done with us here, it just sort of bounces us over there. We just go by and we go to the next person. That's not love. That's emotion. The whole idea of being in love is a cultural myth. Infatuation, scientists tell us, takes anywhere from, lasts anywhere from six hours to 16 months. But that's it. Remember the Righteous Brothers? Anybody my age remember the Righteous Brothers? They weren't a Christian uh, band, by the way. But they, they, had, they had a song, I'll never forget. You've lost that love and feeling. Remember that song? You've lost that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Remember that? You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's what? Gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's not love. So here's what I hear over and over in my office. Men and women. I love my wife, but I'm not in love with my wife anymore. I love my husband, but I'm not in love with my husband anymore. Early on, as I counseled, and I'd hear statements like that, I'd try to understand and, and talk and sort of commiserate. But in, in my older age, and as I've lost patience, uh, as I've gotten older, I, I look at people who say that almost to a person, and I say, what in the world does that even mean? That's nonsense. In love. Love's more than just the physical. It's more than the emotional. Last thing, it's, it's more than just a decision. Making a decision is not love. Making a commitment doesn't necessarily produce love. I, I had the privilege of officiating both of my children's wedding ceremonies, my son and my daughter. And I walked them through the vows and, and uh, the commitments they made to each other. Each of, uh, of those couples made great decisions on that day. They, they proclaimed it to a congregation and before God. But that doesn't 
mean that they loved. It's just that they decided to move ahead toward it. But the decision part gets closer to the point that Paul is making. He says in this text, we need to put on love. Put it on. But certainly the decision itself isn't the virtue of love. It's more the conduit of love itself. We celebrated communion here today, and and I love the opportunity to do that. Remember what Christ did for us. And I always remember the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is struggling with the whole concept of what's going to happen, and he prays, God, if possible, can this cup pass from me? And then says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That decision was made out of love, but that really was more a conduit that led to the purest act of love known to mankind. The Apostle John solves the problem. If you want to know what love is, Apostle John says it all. 1 John 3, 16. And he begins the verse like this. This is how we know what love is. You ready? You want to know what love is? Here it is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And he goes on. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. About a year ago, maybe not quite a year ago, I read a a book that was gripping. Uh, I don't know if any of you have read it. The book is named Kisses from Kate. And the book's by a young woman by the name of Katie Davis, who at the age of 18 said to her parents, Mom, Dad, I want to go to Africa, and I want to go on a mission trip. And they said, okay, and she went, and she loved it. And she began to work with uh, little girls who were orphans, who were just street children, had no place really to live. And she began to, to nurture them and take them into a home and love them. She came back after that three months and said, Mom, Dad, I don't want to go to college this year. I just want to go back and I want to stay there for a year. And I want to love these girls more. I want to work with them. Parents were skeptical, but they said okay, and she went back. And after coming back after that year, she promised her parents she'd go to college after that, but she could only last a semester, and she said, I've got to go back. And she writes these words in the introduction to this book. She says, I believe there's only one truly courageous thing we can do with our lives. Here it is. To love unconditionally, absolutely, with all of ourselves, so much that it hurts, and then more. I remember reading those words and I was thinking to myself, I'd sort of like the love that feels good, but the love that hurts. That's what John is saying to you and to me. So here's how I've come to know, sort of bumped into love in my life. I just want to share a few, few brief instances in my life where I went, oh, okay, that's probably it. My daughter was 18, she's 
34 now, but she was 18, middle of her senior year. She had a doctor's appointment, and uh, through subsequent appointments, they found that she had thyroid cancer. And she was going to have to have her thyroid removed, and, and uh, very serious operation. It was more extensive than we thought. Uh, her recovery was not easy. It was very, very difficult. And I remember sitting uh, by the side of her hospital bed, and she was in pain, praying that somehow God would take every bit of the pain that she was in and put it on me. I just wanted to take on her pain and suffering. just didn't want her to hurt anymore. And I realized how much God loves me as I reflected back on that a few months later, how God suffers with my pain and suffers with your pain. During that same time, as, as I was as such a useless person in the hospital, I'd just sort of sit and stare. My daughter would, would um, in, in the midst of all her pain and, and uh, dealing with what she was having to overcome, she would just send me on little errands. Dad, can you give me some ice? Dad, can you go get me a candy bar? I mean, I was on it, man. I was gone. I was a task to do, and I, I was just so glad to do it. And three years later, we were talking about that. She said, Daddy, she said, it just broke my heart that you were there. I had to figure out something for you to do. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself after that, you know, God takes pleasure in our love for him. I took great pleasure in, my, in the love that my daughter showed me. My son, who's my, my older child, as he was growing up and he would get into various situations, um, I would tell my wife as she'd be frustrated with him at any given time. He was a great kid, but there were times. And I'd say, yeah, just give it eight years, he'll be off to college. Five years, he'll be off to college. Two years, he'll be off, he'll be off to college. And you'll, you won't have him around anymore. And she'd go, no, I don't want to hear that. I don't want him to go away. I said, yeah, you're going to have a hard time when he goes off to college. Just remember that, and it'll get you through these times. So he's off to college. And, and uh, my wife and I got him settled in. She had to leave earlier than I did, so I was there a half day longer. I had to say goodbye to my son standing outside his dorm in the parking lot, in the parking lot of his dorm, and I start to cry. I just start, and it's not just little, little tears down the eyes, it's just, I start to sob. My son's staying there, and I can't get my breath. I've got snot coming out of my nose. <laughs> I'm stunned. He's stunned. He goes, Dad, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll live through this. It's all right. You can come see me sometime, you know. I'm crying, and I can't stop. And I remember thinking later on, I didn't know. I knew I loved my son. I didn't know I loved him so deeply. And I was reminded how deeply God loves us, loves you, and loves me. I remember growing up, my, my dad uh, taught me to play baseball. He took me out the backyard, taught me how to catch a ball. I wanted to play first base. He had to throw me grounders so I could learn to field grounders. 
And I got to play ball, played peewee ball. Ended my career 13, but I had highest, highest batting average on my team that year. Just, that's not important. I just wanted to share that. Um, <laughs> and I was talking to my dad uh, much later on. Uh, I was in my adult years and talking about playing catch. And, and I said, yeah, I remember playing catch. And he goes, yeah, I do. I said, that was fun, wasn't it? He said, yeah, I never thought you'd be much of a player. And I said, what? He said, yeah, Jim, you couldn't catch a ball well and grounders. You just weren't good at all. And here's the, here's the stunning thing about that. I don't, that was news to me. I always thought I was stellar. I remember one time my dad, he, he was throwing me grounders. He threw a ground ball at me, and it took a bad hop, and I was crouched down, and it bounced up and hit me right in the forehead. And it bounced down on my feet, and I picked it up and threw it back to him. And you know what my dad said? Way to stay in front of it, Jim. <laughs> Using my head. Never a negative word. Never, never a negative look. And I realized my dad gave me unconditional acceptance, like my Heavenly Father gives it to me. I bumped into love a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, after I had uh, had open heart surgery, I had to have an aortic valve replacement, and uh, now proud owner of a uh, a bovine valve. Cow sacrificed his life for me, <laughs> so my heart can get, be in better shape. And of course, the recovery for that was was uh, long. And uh, right after that surgery, when I'm newly home, I, I couldn't even bend over to tie my shoes. Every day, my wife would bend over, and I'd see that beautiful woman's hair just bent over my shoes, tying my shoes. And reminded of the humility of Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. You know what that leads me to, bumping into love like that? It leads me to this. Jesus, on a cross, Forgiving, saving, and caring. Paul says here, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in what? In perfect unity. Perfect unity. It has the sense of maturity about it. Loving well is a maturity issue. So how will I know I'm in love? I broke up with Becky, by the way. <laughs> Done. But how will I know I'm in love isn't the question. That's not the point. I have to ask myself, and I would like you to ask yourself, how do I know love? How do I know it? I know love by 1 John 3.16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for me and for you. How will you know it? Same way. What do we do with it? Here's what we do. We lay down our lives for each other. Katie Davis, at the end of this, this wonderful book, makes this statement. 
I've learned I will not change the world. Jesus will do that. I can, however, change the world for one person. I can change the world for 14 little girls. She actually adopted 14 little girls and and, uh, gives them continual care to this day. And 400 school children that she sees that are educated who would not have the chance to be educated. Listen to what she says. And if one person, one person sees the love of Christ in me, it's worth every minute. You want to have a good relationship with your spouse, your kids, parents, extended family, people that you care for. You remember that you are a loved person and you take that love and you extend that love to that person unconditionally. Who's the person in your life that you need to love? Because when we love the way Christ loved us, we have a little taste, just a little taste, but it's wonderful, of how much we're loved by our Heavenly Father and how much He can use that love in the lives of others. You pray with me, please. Lord, I pray for myself, for every person here, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers as well. I pray that you would teach me the rest of my life in a more deep and profound way what it means to love. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow me the privilege of loving in some small way as you have loved us. I pray for each person here that your love would be manifest in their lives and that you would give them the joy and the pleasure of loving well to your glory and to your honor. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.